It's the Craggy Rugby Podcast. It's a midweek special post the Cardiff game because we don't have a game coming up this weekend. Um, but we felt we had to do a podcast because it was such a good result, such a great game. Of course, this is in association with Murty Rabbits and we're back outside because the summer has come back yet again. I'm here with Lindley McKenzie. Afternoon. And William Davis. Alan, hello. What a game that was. Lindley, you've had a few days to think about it now. How big was Jack Carty in that game? Yeah, Jack was, um, I suppose, pivotal and instrumental to Connett's victory. It's it's so great to see Jack, the way his confidence has developed, particularly this season. We've always known he's been a talented player, but this season it's it's really been harnessed. And you know, he's he's playing such positive heads up rugby and we can't all of course say it's all Jack you know who's who's doing the business for us but when he's in a team that is also confident you know it's it you Jack's been able to actually take a leading role which he probably hasn't done in the past been able to do in the past so and you only just you know it it all comes down really to that try doesn't it I mean the confidence to to chip through to beat your man to the ball and touch down at that particular point in the game. It really just turned the tide completely. It certainly did. I was looking at his stats up to this season. He made his debut in 2012, I think it was, and he scored 10 tries up to this season. He's added five to it this season alone. So, like, that's a big jump. That's sort of a man who's very confident in his abilities, William. Yeah, he's playing very good rugby and he's gone into uh, the Ireland scenario. He's played for Ireland and I think he's a player that will get a lot from that. And I think he thrived in their setup. Uh, it's a setup where you have to take responsibility for what you're doing. You're expected to perform at a very high level very quickly. There's no second chances when they're tra- even when they're training, let alone playing. And it seems to have really driven them on, which I think... Uh, is it's great for him. It's also good for Connacht. You can, you know, that that's what you need. You need players like that. They were seven points up at half time, and I think they were happy enough. But they knew they were going to play into the wind. It wasn't, and it was a strong wind. It was a proper sports ground wind. But they went out and they played rugby because they knew they weren't going to be able to grind seven points out. Mm. So they went out and they said, right, we're going to play some rugby here, and that's what won the game. And I think that's what actually shocked Cardiff because I think Cardiff thought. We'll, we'll have a lot of possession here and we'll just dig in and we'll win this game. And I don't know whether I said it on the podcast or on radio, but there was, there's a certain arrogance in Wales. They were arrogant about this. They expected to win and they didn't find a way to do it. They might have been a bit unlucky with some of the decisions. That try was a try. Mm-hmm. But when they went under pressure and Connacht put them under a lot of pressure, the little errors crept in. And I thought it was key. If you listen to John Mulvihill's interview... At the end, when he says Connacht wanted it more. Now, that's a pretty harsh thing for a coach to say. He's saying that for the benefit of his own team. He's saying, you guys didn't want it as much as they did. They wanted this for whatever reason. And I know Gareth Anscombe left yesterday, and that's probably something that was around the team all week. But that's why they won. That's why they got the job done. But Connacht were very impressive in that game. And the policy of putting all the eggs in the one basket worked. It was a little bit high risk. Could have gone either way, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. And the front five again had a had a huge impact. I was I was slightly worried that we were going to miss Quinn Rue too much, and we were going to miss um, Finley Bealham too much. But the lads came in and did a huge job. Thornby had probably his best game for Connacht, and and was very instrumental, and then allowed the back row to win more and more the fifty fifty balls that were out there. Like it was just incredible, Lindley. 
Yeah, I think um, Alton Delane is really coming back into his own again, isn't he? And that's great to see. I think himself combined with Gavin Thornbury um, are, were perfect in the, in the second row. Um, lineouts w- were good uh, on this occasion. And not it, there's not just the strength, but there's also an athleticism, I think, to these players that is actually vital. And particularly when you put a young, you know, um, Paul Boyle in the back row and added to the experience of, of Colby and, and Jared, you've got pace there and you've got power. You certainly do. And then to, to be able to bring someone like Robin Copeland off the bench, big, strong, intelligent man who's got been, been there, done that and was able to make, make a couple of really, really important impacts in the game, William. Yeah, absolutely huge. He did it the week before in Zebra as well, which was a totally different game of rugby. Yeah. Uh, I think in the podcast after that game, we said the Cardiff game would be totally different to what had to be done in Zebra, mm-hmm. and it was. It was a completely different from the first from the first kickoff. Going back to Paul Boyle for a second as well, he took responsibility for some of the kickoffs. It's been an issue for Connacht for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Letting it bounce, who's who's going to catch it, who's calling. He took three or four kickoffs. Now, I know he, he was very disappointed with the one he fluffed up at the end and because he got a bit of stick about it. But he said, uh, I mean, he had to do it and you need a bit of confidence. And for a young player, and remember, he, he only came from, he came from the academy earlier this season. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some of the players that have come up from the academy and have, have joined us, players who have come on on loan. He's the, he's the talisman for that. Look where his career is now. And he's playing great rugby, and he's excited. It's he's he he brings a real excitement to it. He absolutely thrives, and I think that the pressure. And I think overall, as a team, they have grown a lot this season, uh, and they have learned from some of the the games that slipped away. They most certainly have. And you look at someone like Caelan Blade, who's making better and better decisions all the time to go. Like he'd, his first pass was sort of hit the deck going oh my god but didn't seem to bother him before that would have bothered him but it didn't and he just went down and he fired had a cracking game Bundy going in doing doing Bundy stuff that he hasn't done for us for a while and then the back three were threatening every time they got the ball like it was just a whole and the bench had an impact like young young Matthew Brook comes on and because um, I think Dennis was knackered at that stage and and give away a couple of penalties near the end where he was under big pressure from, from Arhip who's a you know grizzled old pro and young Matthew Burke comes on, steadies the scrum, the whole thing just settles down again. And the other players all had an impact. So like as you say, the whole thing seems to have come together and there's a central belief in the team now that's coming from the ethos that's been brought in by Andy Friend and building on the, the coaching capabilities of all the lads that it's, it's really positive for Connacht. Well, just remember, these players are not inexperienced players. They are very experienced players and they have been around for a considerable amount of time, some of them. And, you know, they did come together and, and to win the, the, the Pro 12 trophy that was playing a particular type of rugby. That type of rugby was completely um, abandoned when Karen Keane came in and... It did take some considerable time, and even talking to Jack Carty about it, it was fine for Jack Carty when he first came in because he didn't want to have to make decisions, and that that type of rugby actually helped Jack, and he would acknowledge that. But when you've got experienced players who need to develop, that development has taken a while from the Pat Lamb era to, to this year, and it's great that someone, you know, like Andy Friend has been able to come in 
and harness and harness that together knowing that these players are good and that's one of the reasons why he says there's still more to come from them look we're not world beaters i don't think connor are world beaters but you know it's a collective isn't it and that's what rugby is all about you have a few stars and and connor certainly have those few stars but it is a collective effort and it's all about positivity it's all about you know doing a hundred giving a hundred percent and i think what we saw out there you know, at the weekend, was a team that is in a very good frame of mind. They're actually maturing that they didn't, what I like, I suppose, is that, as when I say they're not inexperienced, they're not, and they're actually maturing. And I think they've matured a great deal this season. I certainly think they have. I think we've talked enough about our excellent men and the fact that we've kind of looked forward to Ulster. We'll, we'll, um, we'll talk about the Ulster game in a, in a little while. But what we'll do now is William's done his, his normal review of the weekend results. So here's William with what happened in the rest of the Pro 14 last weekend. Round 20 of the Guinness Pro 14. And after it, we've learned a lot about how the shakedown in this season is going to pan out. Start with the results on Friday evening. Southern Kings 7, Ospreys 43, Benetton 28, Munster 37, Edinburgh 7, Ulster 29. On Saturday, Leinster 24, Glasgow Warriors 39, Connacht 29, Cardiff Blues 22, Scarlets 42, Zebra 0, Cheetahs 38, Dragons 18. And so now to the conference tables. Conference A. Glasgow Warriors 15 wins, 5 losses, 76 points. Munster 15 wins, 5 losses, 73 points. Connacht 12 wins, 8 losses, 61 points. Third place guaranteed. In fourth place, the Ospreys are on 11 and 9 with 54 points. Cardiff Blues are 10 and 10 on 53. The Cheetahs are 7 and one draw, 12 losses on 41. And Zebra have three wins and 17 losses on 19. In Conference B, Leinster still lead the way. 15 wins, one draw, four losses on 75 points. Ulster, 12 wins, two draws, six losses on 59. Benetton, 10 wins, two draws, eight losses on 52. Edinburgh, 10 and 10 on 51. The Scarlets are 10 on 10 on 50 points. Southern Kings, two wins, one draw, 17 losses on 22. And the Dragons at the bottom with four wins, one draw and 15 losses on 21 points. And from that, we know now that Connacht will play Ulster in the quarterfinal round in the first weekend in May. They obviously have one more game to go against Munster. The other big game in Conference A on the final weekend is the Ospreys against the Cardiff Blues. That match being played as part of Judgment Day in the Principality Stadium. Whoever finishes fourth will go into a playoff with the other fourth place team for the final Pro 14 place in the Champions Cup. In Conference B, Leinster have already qualified for the semi-finals. Ulster are now in second place. The third place will come down to three teams all battling it out. Treviso hold the upper hand. If they can get a bonus point win at Zebre on the final weekend, they will be uncatchable. They can go to 57 points. Edinburgh, if they could get a bonus point win with a game against Glasgow, can go to 56. And the Scarlets can get a maximum of 55 points if they get a bonus point win against the Dragons. 
No Pro 14 action this weekend. It's all back in Europe. And it starts on Saturday afternoon with the first semi-final in the European Champions Cup with a 3pm Irish kick-off time. Saracens take on Munster in the Rico Arena in Coventry. The final European action of the weekend is the second semi-final in the Champions Cup. 3.15pm on Easter Sunday afternoon, Leinster versus Toulouse. And of course, you can get all your European Cup team news um, online at sportsnewsireland.com. Best place for all your team news. So an interesting article yesterday came up from Murray Kinsella on uh, where he talks about the Pro 14 possibly becoming the Pro 16 with two South African teams, but not with the Greekas and the Pumas. The only way it apparently would happen would be with the Stormers or the Bulls or someone like that, but it's a good article. I'm not sure it's going to happen. But here's our chat with Morgan Peake to find out the South African angle on that. Delighted to say Morgan Peake is joining us again here on the Craggy Rugby podcast. It's been a while since he's been on. Morgan, you're welcome along. How are things in Bloemfontein? Oh, always great, thanks. As mentioned a little bit earlier this season, it's starting to turn for us a bit. Uh, a little bit wet and starting to get nippy at the moment. But you guys have had your winter and some of you guys now, so I suppose it's our turn for a bit of cold weather. Um, Morgan's on... A lot of interest going on in, in South Africa. The moment. We've quite a few little topics to cover, but just start off by giving me a, a sort of a feel on how you think the season has gone for the two South African teams, the, the Kings and the Cheetahs. Um, you know, from the outset, it was going to be quite a tall order for them with very high expectations off that first season. Losing as many players as they did, I, I do feel that at this part point in the season it has become an excuse there's been a lot of excuses in the cheetahs play this season and there haven't been enough solutions this is my personal opinion about things yes experience does count for a lot in rugby but you do get to a point in the season where you regain that experience especially if you fuel the team with a lot of continuity because honestly the cheetahs haven't chopped and changed that much to their team and their squad this season so, um, very disappointing, to be quite honest. Um, but having said that, only a, a handful of guys will be leaving at the end of this current season, guys that are in the Pro 14 squad. There will be more, of course, um, due to sorry cutting down the numbers of contracted players. We were talking about the other day, the average age for a Pro 14 team is around about 25, 26 Whereas the Cheetahs at the moment, I think the average age is 23, 24. So they are quite a bit younger. But now the interesting question is, who's going to be the coach next season? So it was revealed last week, uh, just after the game against the Dragons, that Frank Smith might be leaving the Cheetahs at the end of the Curry Cup. He has been made quite a lucrative offer by the Italian national team to take over as head coach there. Um, Connor Shea, as far as I know, will still be involved with the national team, but Franco will be the head coach. That begs the question of who's going to be the coach next year for the Cheetahs if Franco does end up leaving. And I personally feel that Franco will be going at the end of the season. The offers to good, I think the man's under too much pressure at the Cheetahs because they have had the title sponsor renewed over the, about two, three weeks ago and a very lucrative sponsorship, but that comes with quite a lot of responsibility 
as far as I understand, one of the clauses in the contract with the sponsor is that they have to reach the playoffs next season. On the Kings' perspective, I don't think anybody really gave them any chance this season, as was the case last season, because they also experienced a mass exodus, financial problems, etc. They did cause one or two upsets this year, beating Glasgow Warriors. But apart from that, they've been pretty tame. Discipline has been the total Achilles heel this season. And I'd also say their work at the set-piece hasn't been up to scratch for any competition, let alone cross-hemisphere international competition. Recently, the news came out that they are in partnership or linked with Toulon in France. So that could also be quite beneficial for them. I don't, We don't quite know or understand yet how the deal works, but it might see some of the fringe players in Toulon actually coming and playing a bit of Pro 14 rugby for the Kings in future to give them some experience and I suppose for the Kings players to learn from other internationals and you know, boost their ranks and their depths a little bit. So they could be a force to be reckoned with if that French deal really pays off well for them. So, yeah, interesting times next season. And then, of course, there is talks again of the Greekers and Pumas becoming part of the Pro 14 or Pro 16, which sounds like it could happen in 2021. Yeah, that, that's been floating around for a while. Um, but then there's a suggestion that the Pro 14 is looking for maybe some of the heavier hitters from Super Rugby to, to, to come in. The, the, issue, the big issue really continues to be, I, th- I think, personally, Europe, where there doesn't seem to be any real acceptance in either England or France of any opportunity for the South African teams if they were to come out of a Pro 14 scenario, mm. that they just don't want them in Europe at all. Particularly yeah. the French, yeah. who've just who've just said no, it's not happening. Mm. I I think that might still be in the cards in future. And yeah, that's going to be quite an interesting debate. And I'd love to be on a fly on a, a fly on the wall when those meetings happen to hear the fights because I'm sure that it's not going to be if the French are to be persuaded for this to happen and the English, it's not going to be easy for Celtic rugby to persuade and South African rugby to persuade and the other powers that be. Yeah, but I think, I, think, I think the real issue with them is this. They have simply said they don't think the South African teams are a big enough attraction for their crowds, and they mm. don't fancy trekking down to South Africa. I think it would be fair up here to say, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Morgan, there was interest last year in the South African teams coming in, but it's waned a lot. I don't mm. think people, I think people, to be, to be blunt, expected more from them. You, I think you've hit the nail on the head, but I think um, South, African pro, South African rugby in general has got major problems. In if we Even if we switch attention to Super Rugby and seeing how the South African teams are faring in the Super Rugby, they're not doing really well at the moment. There's a scenario where the Horace of Argentina might actually win the South African Conference in the Super Rugby this season. And, you know, that's going to be terrible for South African rugby if that happens. Speaking to Gerald Davies two weeks ago, Jan Blumpertain, he said that, you know, the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings are still very new to European rugby and it's not an overnight fix to get them to play top-class rugby. Of course... We want them to play top-class rugby and be a team that will beat a Munster or a Leinster on any given day overseas. But that comes with time. Um, it's going to take a couple of years for them to settle into the new structures of the competition, the new kind of 
rugby that they can expect in condition uh, in the competition, the conditions, the refereeing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just like I think you guys, when you guys come to South Africa, they generally do struggle a little bit to adapt to the altitude. But the longer the European teams play in South Africa, you know, the less and less of a factor is going to become. So, yeah, it's it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. And the only solution, in my opinion, and I agree with Gerald Davis, is that it's time. And But the thing is, the cheaters also have to, if I use, use the cheaters as an example, they'll have to pull finger and, you know, try and win those hearts and minds back of not only South African fans, but also the fans that they started getting overseas. Morgan, it's been great to talk to you, uh, as always. And uh, I expect we'll be talking to you again Season starting quite late next year because of the World Cup. But sometime around the middle of September, we might be doing a preview setup uh, podcast and we'll be uh, looking to, to get your views on the World Cup and, of course, the 2019-2020 Pro 14 season. Perfect, yeah. That will be towards the back end of the Curry Cup. Uh, we should know who the coach is by then. Uh, although we might actually even know that in the next coming in the next couple of days. Um, yeah, perfect. Great stuff as usual there from from Morgan. So that that one's a story that's going to run and run. Um, right, let's move on to something that that happened at the weekend that um, it normally happens at this time of year. The, the guys who were leaving were announced late last week so the, the the full list is Owen Griffin who's retiring Craig Ronaldson Kean Callagher James Connolly James Cannon Conor O'Donnell Kieran Joyce who we're going to hear from in a little while for people who don't know who Kieran Joyce is uh, James Mitchell Conor McKeown Conor Carey Peter McCabe and Peter Claffey and of course Rory Scholes who left earlier in the season which brings the, the total of 13 players who are, who are leaving the squad this year but we did sign some of the guys who were on loan this, this season, William. Yeah, but, uh, Tom Daly, uh, Stephen Fitzgerald and Angus Lloyd have uh, signed up for full-time contract. I think Andy Friend said at the start of the season they were going to have a smaller squad for next season and that's what they want and that's what they're going to have. And it's, it's something that I think they've been working towards. It's difficult for players uh, because a lot of them have put in a lot of time, a lot of effort. I think Connacht have been very open with them and I think they're well aware. I don't think this comes as a shock. It's not a case of turning around last Friday and saying, you know what, you're leaving. Uh, And that's the only way to do it. It's not quite as brutal as that, but it's still tough. Some of them might uh, move on and play other sports. Some might want to continue playing rugby. Some are retiring. Uh, And that's just the way it is. It's professional sport. It's a cyclical thing. And uh, we wish them all well. Um, There's a few in there I would have said, you know, if there would, uh, I suppose I don't want to pick too many, but I would be feel sorry for James Connolly. But the back row is such a competitive place, and the thing is, if you're not playing season after season, then you're stalling for yourself, and you're beginning to wonder, am I ever going to get there? So maybe that it's when this a decision like this is made, it's an opportunity to draw a line in the sand and say, right, I'm going in this direction now. Yeah, if you look at James' stats, he played 37 times for Connacht, but 20 of them were in Europe as against normally it's the other way around normally you get to play more in Pro 14 so you know I think he's going to be badly missed he's one of, he was one of my players that I would have liked to have seen kept but there's only so much money 
Like I heard again, they were talking about Leinster using their fifty-sixth player of the the league at the weekend. If Peter Claffey did manage to play this 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 on Saturday week against Munster, he would be our fiftieth. And we've got a much smaller squad than than Leinster, but we're only six behind them or seven behind them. So like, yes, we brought this, the numbers down, but there's going to be a lot of players playing a lot more rugby next season. Well, I think it's also this season. It's also, I suppose, positive that that these players, as as. William said, did know about it. It hasn't come as a shock. And I think the way it's handled is sometimes it always takes that, I suppose, the the disappointment from it when it when these players have known for a while and it's been discussed with them. We, I know William's talked about James Connolly. He was very he was extremely unlucky to be missing out there. You know, I think possibly James f- f- under Pat Lamb didn't really reach his potential and. I think he's only he was only sort of um, maybe enjoying his rugby in the last couple of years properly and getting an opportunity. But I suppose the other one that you have to to look at is and and pay tribute to obviously is is Owen Griffin, who has come up through you know, Connett through the school system here, was a big player you know for the, for the Jazz as, as a youngster played for Corinthians, um, and is a thorough nice decent lad and a and a, a very a very you know a real good team player and he has had you know his difficulties he obviously had to go away during the time when all the players left and went off to to, to England he's come back unfortunately you know he's just got to the stage where it's it's time to sort of I think he's going travelling, actually. And um, if in that regard, he's a thoroughly lovely, lovely lad and uh, we wish him all the best. And of course, I just want to make a mention of, of um, Craig Ronaldson, who was very instrumental in their championship winning season, was a fabulous second 5-8 in my book. I thought we played some awesome rugby with him at playing at 12. Um, had an 83% success kicking rate in the last couple of seasons as well, so we'll be really badly missed. Um, and I mentioned earlier on, Kieran Joyce Kieran Joyce most people won't know he's played twice for Connacht he played against Perpignan home and away was excellent in that second game was the top tackler in the backs and he's a very interesting young character he's only 22 years of age he's got a community interest company called Noggin Sport which is dedicated to raising the awareness and effects of mental illness in sport I spoke to him last week and um, here's what Kieran had to say Cheers, thanks for having me, I really appreciate it. That's not a, an Irish accent, what's a young man from Solihull doing in, in Connacht? I think the old Silhalians, is that the right way to say yeah, it? We're, we're very proud that you made your debut for Connacht there in December, was that it? Yeah, that's the one, so um, I'm a part of the I'm a product of the Irish exile system, um, so my second name is Joyce, so uh, <laughs> my family hails from, um, from Connemara, so they do, oh, okay. and um, what happened was I grew up in England in Solihull, um, old Silhalians near Birmingham, and... Um, um, I was, always grew up supporting Ireland, um, supporting Irish rugby. I always wanted to be, I suppose, an Irish rugby player. So I, I kind of went into the Irish exile system at 16 and, and kind of went from there, really. Um, I ended up going to uni over in Queens, Belfast. Uh, I studied there for three years and did uh, business management. Okay. And there I was part of the Ulster kind of sub-academy. And then um, I think one of the days, then I think it was Nigel Carolan. Um, he gave me a call and said we'd like to come down for a trial um, in the summer. Um, him and Mossy Lawler, and that was uh, it'd be about two years ago now. And um, I suppose haven't really looked back since. I suppose yeah. Right, so good solid Irish connections. Yeah, pretty pretty good. Yeah, we used to come on holiday here when we were younger as a family um, down in Salt Hill. So I have great memories here for when I was a kid, and um, I suppose it's great to be back. Always a great place. So. 
It is indeed. I'm a blow-in myself, and, yeah. and and I love it. And my my kids were born in England too, but we we came back when they were they were much younger, yeah. um, because it is such a such a beautiful place. Um, so your main position is centre. What's it like playing beside the likes of Bundyaki and Kyle Godwin and people like that? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing to be honest with you. Um, especially I suppose being a young guy coming in up through the academy, it's amazing to learn off those guys. Um, you know, they have so much experience and, and just real small small details, that I suppose, something that I wouldn't really even realise or miss. And just to kind of pick up on the, their habits and their traits around the sports ground, I think is, is really, really helpful. You know, again, Kyle, Bundy and also Tom Farrell as well. They've all been really helpful to me um, and really give me some good advice and support. So, yeah. And you played a lot of Eagles rugby this year and the start of the season didn't quite go so well but over in America recently had two brilliant results especially against Ulster yeah yeah I mean obviously the, the, the start of the season didn't go too well for us and we kind of took a lot of learnings and um, I, th- I think actually in all fairness it probably brought the group quite a lot tighter as well I think it's very tough obviously you know playing week on week five mm. six weeks in a row and, and to be fair losing but I think we definitely learned a lot and when we came back round for, to the to the American trip we definitely we placed a huge emphasis on just kind of I suppose just kind of enjoying ourselves and, and coming in from a positive place, you know, positive reinforcement in training and before the game and during the game. And I think that really helped, especially young guys, um, really bounced off that kind of positive energy that was kind of being put out by the senior guys. And I think you can kind of see, I suppose, the fruits of the labour there in the sense of the two wins, especially against Ulster, that was a great victory and some young guys really stepped up and put in some amazing performances. They certainly did, they certainly did. And, and talking about, you know, the positive influence and the positive aspect of, of the whole thing, you're, you started um, Noggin Sports with your, with your brother. Give us, tell us the story about Noggin Sports. Yeah, um, so I suppose a long story, um, which is probably what you're after, I suppose. We, um, I said about a year and a half ago, me and my brother, and it's a community interest company. And what we do is we try to raise awareness around mental health and sport, particularly among, you know, young men and women who are playing sport every day. Um, uh, the re- the way it all kind of started, I suppose, is um, we it was a uni project that I I kind of was thinking about, and it kind of developed into something a bit more than that. Um, what we do is we sell merchandise, so we would sell um, we sell headwear, so snapbacks, baseball caps, bucket hats, mm-hmm. and also then custom team wear for custom teams. So a custom, okay. say, let's say, a custom Galwegians hat, a custom Buccaneers hat, a custom mm-hmm. Corinthians hat. Mm-hmm. We've provided hats for all those clubs, and it's just really good to see. And what we do is we then we, we raise that money and then we divert it then to the charities across the UK and Ireland Excellent. and um, and that's what we're trying to do we'll be going through about a year and a half and um, we're pretty happy with how it's going at the moment yeah and how does you know as, as you know I, I struggle with my own mental issues every now and again I'm a, I'm a celiac and if I get glutened I will get depressed and I, I, I you know it's it's horrible it's a horrible feeling this this noggin sport is about helping people understand that it's okay not to be okay yeah exactly um you know what we've done is we've very much based noggin sport around the brand of a wolf pack um a kind of a wolf pack community so what our aim is we want to try and create an environment and a community where people feel a part of that they feel like they can open up and talk to whether it be a friend uh, a family member or, or even someone online who is also part of our noggin sport community that's what we're trying to do and it's fantastic to see the growth that we've seen over the last year and a half um We've seen a lot of, um, you know, rugby players get involved. Sean O'Brien, um, Joey Carberry. Bundy sorry, Arky. sorry. Which Sean O'Brien? Pardon? Both. Which Sean? Both. Both. both yeah, Sean O'Brien. Both Sean O'Brien, which is Excellent. amazing. Excellent. And um, even Johnny Sexton and a lot of the Connacht guys have really got involved. So it's really great to see the support from that side of things. And and that's what we're trying to do is to, to make people realise that it's okay to talk about how you feel and it's okay to be... Um, 
you know, show, I suppose, your your inward feelings and thoughts to, to those around you. I think that's where great strength comes from. And that's what we're trying to show young people. And like for a sport like rugby, which, you know, I grew up playing rugby. I never played at the highest level, but, you know, I played rugby from the time I was 10 till I had to stop playing when I hurt my knee. It was, you know, very much a man's game. You went out and you just did things. And if there was something wrong, like it was told, yeah, go and deal with it. Figure it out. Deal with it. That That seems to, this helps get away from that. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it's very important to recognise, I suppose, rugby at its core, you know, it's a physical, it's a contact sport yeah. and whoever's usually the most physical and dominant, they're going to win the game and I think that's that hasn't changed and it's more about, I suppose, away from the pitch, you know, that we're kind of looking mm. after. I think um, we're, we're trying to say that, you know, if things aren't going right off the pitch or there's something that's really bothering you or you don't feel quite right in yourself or you feel a bit down and you want to talk to someone, then that's, that's definitely okay. Um, you know, I think on the rugby field and in and around that environment, I think, you know, you do have to be, you have to be physical, you have to be strong, you have to be, you know, dedicated to your craft, otherwise I suppose you're not going to be successful, so it's just about kind of finding that balance, you know. So so it's okay to be strong and, and, and fierce, but also vulnerable at the same yeah, time? Yeah, effectively, yeah, I mean, you've got to go that balance, you know, and that's what we're trying to do, we, we don't want people to, to shut off and, and cough their emotions, you know, so that's what, that's what we're trying to say, is kind of get that balance, I suppose, balance of both, and then it is just okay to to not feel 100% sometimes and not feel on top of the world. So that's what we're trying to project, I suppose, yeah. How did the older players deal with this? Like, they wouldn't necessarily have had this ability to talk. Like, it's, this is more of a, a more modern thing that's happened, you know, for younger people that it's, it's, they're more open about talking about things. Yeah, I think we've, we've had people from all ages kind of get on board and support us, you know. Um, we've, we've been able to, I suppose, grow our presence predominantly online, which has really helped us through, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and things. So, But even from that, we've had people from all age, age ranges really, you know, get into contact with us and send us DMs and, and send us emails and say that they've really, really enjoy and they really appreciate what we're trying to do. Um, and the same goes to be said for even in the sports ground, you know, like a few of the lads have come up to me, the older guys, and said, you know, I really love what you're doing. It's really great to see. And that's really kind of great from my end to kind of, I suppose, get their support and get their backing. It really, it really means a lot, you know. It certainly does. Listen, best of luck with that in the future and your future rugby career. And thank you very much for talking to Craig of Rugby. No worries. Thanks very much. I'll hopefully be back on soon enough and uh, I really appreciate it. Cheers. Okay, to finish off the podcast, we're going to talk about the, the Ulster game in a couple of weeks' time. We haven't got an official date yet, William, but we're hoping it's the Saturday. Yeah, well, that's what they did last season. Uh, they played both of the quarterfinal games back-to-back, quarter past three and half six. And I can't see either side signing up for a six-day turnaround. I know Ulster would probably love it to be on a Friday night, but I'm sure Connacht would well be within their rights to say, well, we're not having a six-day turnaround. There's plenty of time. It's not, there's no rush to play this game. Mm. So I suspect it'll be on the Saturday. Um, they really should make that decision before the last set of games is played. Mm-hmm. Get it out there. Give people an opportunity. It's a bank holiday weekend. Uh, hotel accommodation in Belfast is in very short supply because the marathon is on. And Belfast is also a big tourist city. So if it is this Saturday night and you're planning to stay... It's going to cost you a bit of money. Um, so that's why we're hoping it's the afternoon kickoff, which means you could go to the game, have a you know, and, and enjoy it, and maybe get somewhere further south that you can get somewhere if you had to go and stay. But the one thing I will say to to Connacht supporters, you should go. This is a great stadium to watch a game of rugby in. Lindley, you enjoy it. Oh, I love Ravenhill actually, and I, I like the atmosphere there. I like the development of the ground they've done. I I I. Lo- 
like the, the, the Ulster fans. I love their chanting and their singing, you know. Um, and it's it's actually just a very it's a very comfortable stadium to be in in the sense that it's not huge. It's it's quite an intimate kind of stadium, uh, and yeah, it's going to be a but it's going to always be tough as it always is up there. Two teams are going to be pretty much on the on the top of their game for this for this fixture. I think they will. It should be fascinating, William. Yeah, it should be. It's interesting because uh, they both have to play the week before. Leinster and Ulster is a totally irrelevant game. It's been played at in uh, Ravenhill. means nothing to either side. They're, they have their spaces. Munster and Connacht slightly different because if Edinburgh were to do Munster a favour, Munster could still finish top of the conference. And I think, but then they've, you know, you don't know where they're going to be with the, having played a European semi-final a week before, if they've got a European final. So all this stuff is in the air. Really, the the Super Saturday has become a little bit of a damp squib. It'll probably not happen this way again. You you could have all to play for, but it hasn't worked out that way. Um, and it'll be a matter for Connacht to keep just keep the pot boiling. How you do that? It's going to be a big challenge for them because they've got a two week gap now, and then they've got to play a match that doesn't mean very much, and then they've got to play an interprovincial match that means everything. It's the whole season comes down to that game. You win that game, you're into a semi final and I think they can go up there and give it a hell of a good go. I don't think they have anything particularly to fear from Ulster. Ulster are getting better, there's no question about that, uh, but they're still a tad unpredictable, and it'll be interesting to see how they cope with the pressure of being at home. Their fan base will expect them to win. They're desperate to win something. They are desperate. You've got to remember, Connacht have won mm-hmm. something. Ulster have won nothing for years, and that is gnawing away at them. Sometimes that can work for you or against you. It's going to be absolutely fascinating. And I back up what two colleagues said here. It's a great place to go. It's a really good ground. It's it's 18,000. It'll be packed. And as always, sparky. <laughs> there is indeed. And of course, if we did manage to win that game, um, we'd be either in Scotsdon or Thomond, depending on what that result is. Neither places that we do particularly well in. Well, I take Thomond ahead of that plastic place in Glasgow which just seems to baffle us it's interesting Connick have obviously achieved what they wanted this season but I'm fascinated by the fact that they keep talking about certain games they talk about the Ospreys away they talk about Cardiff away they don't really talk about Leinster in Dublin or the one that I always think about is Glasgow here right at the start of the season but it's those two games and it's still going round and they're still looking at that and wondering what went wrong how didn't that happen that's the attention to detail that gets you to be a top level coach top level analyst top level player that's that's how you do it because they were thrilled about Saturday but they now know that Saturday's gone it's now forward and that's going to be really good to be involved with it certainly is and you get the impression that they totally and utterly believe that they can go and win this that certainly seems to be the vibe that I'm getting from them that yeah Saturday was done and dusted they've, they've, got, they've made their achievements and the fans are happy we're playing Champions Cup rugby everyone's debating about where, where are we going to go in France and who do we want to get and whatever but the reality is the players think that they can go and win this, this championship they did it two seasons ago no reason to think they can't do it anymore I think we'll more or less leave it there remember you can hear us on Spotify iTunes SoundCloud wherever you get your podcasts tell your friends um, and next week we will have a podcast same time same place hopefully with the same weather as we preview the game against Munster in more detail bye now bye now
cut it loose Break out or nothing changes Sad and confused Don't wait until 